Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. If you think that tears and sorrow are the exclusive domain of one nation or another, I invite you to consider New Zealand. What happened there recently shone a light on the common flesh that all people of all religions in all nations share. Grief is no respecter of persons, a fact we do well to remember. Here to fill us in on the latest is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, what do we need to know? Well, it's really only a few days now since the world was shocked oh, at this uh, massacre at a mosque in New Zealand. Now, Australia, where I come from, used to be criticized for being not very diverse, and it was primarily English up to World War II, and then it took on a lot of Eastern Europeans, and as well as the English, of course. Yeah. And uh, since the Vietnam War, a lot of Asians. So today, Australia's, I think, more multi-ethnic, generally speaking, than the United States. Yeah. But New Zealand has been sort of held in a time warp. And the last couple of times that I've visited there, I have noticed that they're taking in immigrants from all over the world. They have a very generous social welfare program. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I interviewed immigrants when I was there, and, and there's a very strong support structure for immigrants where they immediately are on the unemployed benefits and food and accommodation and so on. So they're, they're really trying hard in New Zealand to integrate a broader range of immigrants than they had in the past. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I see New Zealand moving with the times, but... They're still an isolated country, and in recent years, I've looked online, like many people, where's the best place to escape the troubles to come? Mm. And of course, the Bible does say, no hiding place. (laughs) But there's some advantage to moving out of the the real hotspots of the world, and almost invariably, every site that's looking at the countries that are most out of the line of fire of troubles or potential troubles, they settle on New Zealand, Mm -hmm. top of the list. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain irony and tragedy, extra tragedy, in what happened there recently when, I hate to say it, but an Australian white supremacist moved easily from Australia to New Zealand. They're they're sister countries, very much like Canada and and the U.S., where at least in the past, the border between the U.S. and Canada was pretty fluid, and it's still very easily navigated by citizens of Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. He came across with hatred, and uh, murder and, you know, opened fire and killed, uh, I forget the number, but I think it was 40, 50 people at that level. Mm-hmm. Horrendous. What happened next is both a salutary lesson to the world and a cautionary tale, or a lesson, a uh, good way for a country to respond, but a cautionary tale of what can spin off from it. When we make decisions, uh, we have to have certain criteria to make that decision. Are you saying that the criteria that New Zealand used to make the decision was flawed? No. I think New Zealand responded well, although I think they've overreacted a bit. Mm -hmm. Today I was reading that uh, they've taken some draconian measures against social media that might restrict normal expression of ideas, but, you know, they're really clamping down on everything. There wouldn't already strong controls and 
severe social distaste for weaponry. So it's not a heavily armed country unless someone's a farmer out in the backfields. Guns don't really figure in New Zealand. So not a violent society that way. But they are clamping down as tough as they can on anything that might create violence or incite people to uh, antisocial violent acts. And of course, as we know, and on this program we've discussed before, often a view expressed by one thinking it's perfectly reasonable, their right to do so and all the rest for, by another party, especially in religious expression, they'll take it as hate speech. That's right. So we need to be careful we don't restrict the activity of religion generally in the name of some sort of uh, safety concern. So the government's going maybe a little too far in that regard. But I think the way they treated this publicly, the prime minister wouldn't even name the person. Hmm. Fine. I don't myself think that religious uh, terrorism or, or even the white nationalist type terrorism, I don't think those people are necessarily doing it to get a name. Certainly the religious fanatics, they want a name written elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> they almost like to be hated. But, you know, where regular criminals, some of them, yes, are wanting notoriety and so on, and, and, it's, and it's good to keep it anonymous. But I, I still think it was good that the prime minister really didn't dignify yeah. the person, um, you know, by, by talking about them very much. Mm-hmm. But where I was startled that this really hit the fan was in Turkey. Now, Americans don't much know the story, but in World War One, Australia and New Zealand, which were uh, already independent countries, but still sort of barely left home children of the British Empire, were so anxious to be involved in the war alongside of England and, of course, already very uh, much an affinity with the goals of the United States. But England was their reference point. And so they volunteered wholesale, huge numbers, hundreds of thousands of them, when their populations were very small. Even today, New Zealand, I think it's only like five, somewhere between five and eight million, and Australia's 25 million. They're not huge countries. I mean, very big in area, but not huge populations. And so World War I, these recent colonials, anxious to prove their, their bona fides, signed up big time, and almost en masse, they were sent by Winston Churchill, the Lord of the Admiralty, on one of his pet projects to uh, thwart the, I'm trying to think what they called the, the powers of Germany and its allies, but to thwart that whole alliance by coming up and attacking Turkey and blocking the approach through the Dardanelles. Mm-hmm. And so they landed all of these guys en masse on a beach that they really hadn't checked out carefully, a little narrow beach with a, a cliff, one 200-foot-high cliff oh. right next to it. Oh. And the, uh, the Turks were on the top of the cliff, and for the whole time they were there, they never got off the beach. And they were there for, I think, about a year. Mm. Uh, and the killing was immense. And to this day in Australia and New Zealand, most every town has a monument to Anzac and Gallipoli. And in the aftermath of the war, the commanding general of the Turks, Kemal Ataturk, spoke very charitably of the Australians who fought bravely, if ineffectually. And there was quite a coming together. And and, uh, until recently, Australians would go over there and celebrate this shared heritage with Turkish veterans. And, you know, they don't remember all of the animosity that, that formed the attack, but they remember the shared sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. 
After the shooting in New Zealand, Erdogan, the Prime Minister of Turkey, I, I saw it on TV where he was ramping the crowds up by saying, As I tell Australians, they come here, he says, we will send you back in boxes, as we did in Gallipoli. And he went on and on. Now, that's very sad, very frightening, I think, because the subtext of what he was talking about is a total change in Turkish thinking. Mm. As I said, Kemal Ataturk, victorious general, he's the guy that created modern Turkey. I've been to Turkey and really loved Istanbul. Mm -hmm. And you can still see the effect of Kemal Ataturk. He made it illegal to wear the fez and head coverings and all the rest. He didn't want it to be seen as a religious state. He wasn't against religion, but he didn't want government-sponsored religion. He wanted a society that didn't aggressively push its religious view on minorities. And he westernized Turkey, so much so that Turkey today is a member of NATO and an erstwhile member of the, you know, they want to be part of the European community, the common market which became the European Union. But... The present move, and Erdogan is against that. It's Islamic thinking, Islamic radicalism, Islamic triumphalism, siege mentality, which is not good for the world at large. No. Very sad for this long-standing good feeling between Turkey and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, a shared struggle of yesteryear, reasons forgotten, but the sacrifice sort of created a commonality. That seems to have gone in an instant. Mm -hmm. And a great antipathy uh, replaced it. That's the bigger meaning of this. I've noticed, Lincoln, that when things happen in this world, sometimes we're very surprised at the resulting reaction from people groups. That's because we're not aware of the history of what went before. And you're just... Well, you, it's a good point. Thank you for prompting me. I yeah. hold that view. History yeah. tells you everything, everything about the present. Oh, my. Things are seldom in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know the full thinking of the individual that perpetrated this act, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to offend Turkey. You know, white nationalists everywhere have a sort of a twisted view of history, but they are historians. They're historians, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, they do read, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, they have a mythical past that they're trying to work towards, so yeah. they would have a a rather tangled view of this, but it's not a, not just an act of pure hatred, which is more than evil enough to deal with, but it's it's got its own strange logic, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were working on this level. And unfortunately, they've been answered in kind by uh, mm -hmm. Turkey. It would just seem to me that it's a good idea for us, before we react, to do a little study of why that event took place and the way it took place and where it took place. Where do we go for that, Lincoln? I mean, this radio program, of course, your television program, your, your magazine, uh, Liberty Magazine. Where do we go to find why people are doing what they're doing? Is there, is there a common thread we could discover, run across here? Where physically and where mentally should we go? When, people don't go to books much anymore, unfortunately. No, they don't the go to books, books yeah. And the Internet, you know, how are we going to know whether there's something saying on the Internet is what we should be looking at? Well... Yes, and, and, and sites are often, they have an agenda yeah. that you can't easily see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I go to them, but I don't go to just one. But I like YouTube, because mm. YouTube will show you what's happening. Show you context, too. Yeah. Show you the people making statements, yeah. which yeah. may be wrong, but still, 
it's real world. Yeah. And then if you, in the case of one single event, go to a bunch of them and you can piece there together what's go. happening. There you go. Like at the moment, we're, you know, we're still in the, the reality of Notre Dame burning. Well, yeah. you can go online and you can... My wife has some family friends that are over there, and they sent back clips immediately that they took right on the occasion, standing with the crowd, watching Notre Dame burning. You can't sort of deny that reality. It's in your face. And on YouTube, too, there are a lot of documentaries with footage that at least give an explanation to the background, and they may be biased. Everything in life can be. But at least you get a fuller picture than just some fundraising type paranoid statement that, that might be on a given website. I don't quite buy what the president says about fake news. Yeah. There's always been fake news. Yes. But it is still possible to get real information if you go hunting for it. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, has been our guest today talking about the New Zealand shootings. Lincoln, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And listener, www.libertymagazine.org is our website. Lots of resources there. Check it out. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443 443- 391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>